Well, good morning, Valley Bible Church. I'm spent. I think uh, that was just great. I have, my heart is full. I'm ready to go home. So, But I think there's one thing left that we have to do, uh, and that's hear from what the Lord says through his word. Um, but it's just a blessing to be here with all of you. It's a, always just a, such a, a joy to worship together. Uh, to see what God's doing through this church and to celebrate with new families that have new little ones and to see familiar faces and just wonderful time to be together. So if you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. We are on to a new E as we've been talking about what are we doing here as a church and the author of the five E's is actually sitting right here. Pastor Phil, back in town, so great to have you. Uh, we are on the last of the E's. You know, first and foremost, we're here, beginning and end. The, all the E's are really about this E, we want to exalt Christ. But we've talked about that we also want to be about evangelism. We want to be sharing the good news of Christ to those that don't know it. And as they hear the good news, and by God's grace, as they respond to it, we want to enfold them as the family of God. And as we gather together, the last two weeks, we've talked about that we want to equip and be equipped. And now we're talking about what's the goal of all of that, equipping, right? God doesn't just equip you for nothing. No, he equips you so that you can serve, and that we can serve one another. So we're talking about enlist. That is the E, enlist. We are enlisted into service. So we are here to enlist. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, we're going to look at the fact that we are stewards of grace. Stewards of God's grace. So let's read this. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. It says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is really Peter's picture of what is church. Church is a place where you receive gifts and grace from God that you can use to bless other people, and then God will receive the glory. And so let's pray, and we'll look at these verses. Father, what a picture. Each one of us, if we're in Christ, we have received gifts and grace from you. And the gifts and grace that you give, they're not just meant for us, that we enjoy them on our own. No, they're meant, each one is meant that we would pass it along to someone else. You give grace so that we can give grace to each other. Lord, we want to be a church that's characterized by this, that we all are just eager to receive your good gifts so that we can pass them along to one another. And at the end of all of that, you'll be glorified. 
Lord, these verses say that you have varied grace, you have manifold grace, you have all kinds of different graces and gifts that you want to give to your people if we would be faithful to pass them along as good stewards. So Lord, help us to be that. And Lord, may we see you in all your glory through the use of gifts in each other's lives. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, as stewards of grace, the first thing Peter wants us to do is to pray for discernment. He starts verse 7 this way, the end of all things is at hand. If you want to be a good steward of what God's given you, you have to think about what time is it. You know, when I'm, if I'm preparing for a sermon, if I wake up Monday morning, I'm thinking, I'm all good, right? I got the whole week ahead of me. I can prepare this sermon. But if I wake up to this morning, right, Sunday morning, and the sermon's not done, that affects things a little bit differently, right? I live differently if it's Sunday morning and I don't have a sermon than if it's Monday morning and I don't have a sermon. That's kind of the idea that, Paul, uh, that Peter is getting at here. The end of all things is at hand. What does he mean? He means that the whole of our lives is taking place after the climactic moment in history. What was that? Well, the climactic moment in history was Christ conquering through the cross. Everything before that was leading up to that, right? All the questions, how is God going to reconcile all things? How is he going to redeem a people for himself? How can he be the just and the justifier of many? Through Jesus Christ on the cross. What was lost at the garden, our perfect fellowship with God. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, we were without hope and without God in the world. How did God fix that problem? He restored all things through Christ. It says, we who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been reconciled to God through the cross. That's the most climactic moment in history was Christ on the cross. And what Peter's saying is your life is taking place after that. In other words, your life is happening at the end of the story. And so how should that impact the way that you live? Peter's thinking there's only one thing left to happen, and we don't know when that's going to happen. What's that one thing that's left that hasn't happened yet? Christ coming back, right? Look at verse 5. This, that's the thought on his mind as he's talking about this. He says, there's people that when you live for Christ, they're going to mock you. But he reminds them of this in verse 5. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The end is near. The end of all things is at hand. There's only one event left, and it's Christ's return. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a savior. He's coming back as a judge. The end of all things is at hand, so how are you going to live this little bit of time that you have? That's what he's talking about. Verse 2, he said it this way, this should be our mindset then, that we would live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Right? Christ wants us thinking this way, how am I going to spend these last years on earth? If the end is rapidly approaching, how should I be living? He says this in verse 7, that should lead us to be self-controlled and sober-minded. 
The fact that the end is near should not cause us to be hysterical, right? We're not running around thinking like, oh no, the end is near, the end is near. He's saying, no, the end is near actually helps you to be self-controlled, that you don't overreact to the things in your life. You know, if you're thinking about the storylines of life, right, the storyline of your life has a lot of things that could cause you to overreact and get hysterical and get tunnel vision, right? There's a lot going on. There was a lot going on at the time that he was writing. I mean, people were being mocked. It just said that a few verses earlier. They were being oppressed. There were social pressures. There was governmental overreach. They were dealing with unbelieving spouses, harsh bosses, countless things that could cause you to be distracted and overreact and have tunnel vision. And what does Peter say? Don't focus on that storyline. Don't focus on the storyline of your life. Focus on God's storyline. Right? A world in rebellion against its loving creator, and yet he sent Christ to pay for sins and reconcile people back to God. That's happened. Christ came. He did that. And the only thing left is for him to come back. So how are you going to live the short time that you have on earth? So he wants us to be self-controlled. He says next that we should be sober-minded, that we should think carefully. We shouldn't go through this life thinking like, oh, I've got all the time in the world. You know, I can get serious about God, about living for Christ. I can do that later. You know, maybe like when I'm 60 or something like that. But for now, I can just kind of do whatever I want. Or worse, he doesn't want you thinking this way. It's like, well, I'm saved. It's like, my future's secure. So, I mean, I'm just going to kind of do whatever makes me happy until the day when Christ returns. No, Peter's saying, be sober-minded. Think seriously. How are you going to invest your life? Now, that doesn't mean that we're not joyful, right? We should be the most joyful people on the planet. We have never-ending access to the fountain of all joy. So he's not saying, you know, be down in the dumps and just sort of, you know, think seriously. No, but he's saying, be joyful, yes, but also be very careful how you live. Be very serious in how you think about what am I going to invest my life in? These are the questions that should be on our mind if we're thinking about the end. What am I going to live for? What am I going to spend my life on? What will I prioritize? What should be the things that occupy my mind and my heart if the end is near? I have one life to live. I don't have much time. Christ is coming back. Those are the kinds of thoughts that we need to be thinking. And those thoughts lead to the end of verse 7. If you're thinking that way, if you're asking those questions, it says, you're self-controlled and sober-minded. Why? For the sake of your prayers. Or in other words, so that you would pray. That sober-mindedness, that self-control leads you to pray. Lord, I know that time is short. I know that the souls of men are eternal. I know that the glory of God is at, is on, is at stake. Lord, how do you want me to live my life? Help me. Right? Those are the prayers that you're asking. Help me know how to live my life. As stewards of grace, God wants us praying that way. How should I invest my life? You know, some people will say, you know, imagine you only had one week to live. What would you do? Now, I'm sure that many things would change if we knew that we only had one week to live. I think we'd have very different conversations with people if we, if we knew we only had one week to live. 
right? My conversations with my kids, my conversations with my parents, coworkers, friends, family, all those conversations are going to look very different if I know that I only have one week to live. If we knew we only had one week to live, it would probably also change what we hold on to. I'm not going to spend the last seven days of my life being bitter over something that somebody did to me, right? I don't have time to be bitter, to be focusing on those things. I'm going to let it all go. And I'm going to focus on what does Christ want me to do with this last week that I have? You'd probably do many other things. You'd probably quit your job. I'm not going to go back to work, you know, if I only have seven days to live. I'm going to take all my possessions, all my money. I'm just going to give it away because I only have a week. I'm not taking it with me, so I'm just going to give everything away. That's what you would do if you only had one week to live. Now imagine, though, if you had five years to live. You knew, like, maybe you went to the doctor, and the doctor said, you've got maybe five years max. That's it. Now, I hope that a lot of those same things would change, right? That that would still change the conversations that you have with your kids, with your parents, with your loved ones. That you'd still want Christ to be the focus of all of those conversations. Hopefully, you would still let go of a lot of things. That I wouldn't get hung up on the way that this person treated me or the thing that this person did to me. That I would say, I only have five years. I'm not going to waste my time on that kind of thing. But there's things that couldn't change if you knew you had five years to live. Right? You couldn't really quit your job. You'd still have to work. But it would probably greatly change your mindset when you went to work if you knew that you only had five years to live. Yes, I need a job, but I'm not sure I want to take a job that's going to take me away from church and family and everything 80 hours a week. Yeah, I want to be wise with my money and my possessions. I want to invest them wisely. I don't have to give them all away this week, but I want to be very strategic and how I use those for the sake of the kingdom. I think that's what Peter's getting at. If you could sort of imagine your life that way, not that you can just drop everything tomorrow because it's all going to end, but if you lived with the realization that it all could be over in just a matter of years. So how would that impact the way that you live your life? Now, the sobering thing is, some of us in this room probably only have five years to live. And the other, so even more sobering, is we don't know who those people are. <laughs> that there's no guarantees. I mean, maybe you're 105 years old, and you're thinking, yeah, I, I probably only have five years. I'm hoping that I have less than five years to live. I'm ready to go home. But what if you're 60 years old, and you knew you only had five years to live? You're retired. How are you going to spend that five years? How are you going to invest it in the things that matter? Or you're 40, and you're still in the middle, you know, you're working on your career, all those things, but you only have five years left. How are you going to invest that five years? Or maybe you're 16, and you know that you've got five years to go. How are you going to live out those five years for the sake of the kingdom? That's what Peter wants us thinking about. That's what Christ wants us thinking about. Now, remember, this isn't a scare tactic, right? Peter's not talking to unbelievers, right? There's a sobering truth for unbelievers that the time is at an end, and Christ is coming back as a judge. That leads to repentance, but that's not really what Peter's talking about here. Peter's saying to believers, the time is near. The end is near. How are you going to live your life? How are you going to invest the short life that you have? He says you need to be praying. Pray about those things. You know, Lord, how do you want me to invest these years of my life? Right now, I'm spending 80 hours a week at work. Lord, is that what you want me to do? Do 
Do I need to have a tough conversation with my boss? Like, I'll give you 50, maybe I'll give you 60, and I'm going to work heartily for the Lord for those 50, 60 hours, but I can't give you that much time. There's more important things that I need to do. Or maybe if you're about to graduate high school, asking the Lord, how should I invest my life? This short life that I have. Or maybe you're home with the kids, and that's the role that you have right now. How can I use even this time as I'm home with the children to invest my life in the things that matter? And as you think about those questions, I want you to consider this, that sometimes good is the enemy of the best. You know, are we spending our lives on good things at the expense of the best things? You know, most of us as believers, we're not going to be tempted to waste years of our life in sin, right? And that's not to say we won't sin. Of course we're going to sin, but we're going to repent, right? The Spirit's in us. The Spirit's going to draw us back. We're not going to waste years and years of our life on sin, probably. But some of us, maybe many of us, are going to be much more tempted to waste our life with good things that are not the best thing. Right? We're thinking about, as a family, we're planning out the next school year, and one of the things we love is we'd love the kids to be involved in music. And so we were talking to the place where they received lessons, and they said, okay, well, the, the setup is, you know, you have your lessons on this day, and then another day you have ensemble. And then we heard that they're doing the music man, and we're like, oh, we love the music man. Like, let's get the, maybe we'll get the kids involved in the music man. And they're like, okay, well, if you want to be involved in the music man, you have to come Monday night, Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday, and sometimes Saturday. It's like, that's a good thing. That would be fun. The kids would love it. But that would take us away from the best things, right? And those are the decisions that we have to make. We have to be willing to even sacrifice some good things, right? I mean, music, sports, all of these things. You just, you're asking God for wisdom. I want to invest my life wisely. Help me to do that. Because one day we're going to stand before the Lord and he's going to ask us, how did you spend your life? And you want to be able to tell him, I spent it on the best thing. I didn't spend it on a hundred good things. I spent it on the best thing. Now, of course, that raises the question, what is the best thing? What is the thing that we should be investing our lives in? Like, as you're praying this, you're like, Lord, would you just tell me, like, tell me, like, above all, like, what should I be focused on in this life? Well, look at verse 8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. And so that's second. As stewards of grace, we're praying, that's one, but as stewards of grace, we're lovingly serving one another. That's what he says. He says, above all, keep lovingly, keep loving one another earnestly. Amidst all the competing interests, amidst all the good things that you could do, focus on this best thing. Keep loving one another. Where did Peter get that idea? Maybe he got it from Jesus when he washed his feet. And he told him this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Or maybe he got it from the conversation on the beach. After he denied Christ three times, Christ asked him, do you love me three times? Peter said, yes. And then what did Jesus say? Feed my sheep. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. That's your top priority. And Peter's talking to a church. So, I mean, he's really saying this. If he was talking to us right now, if he was up here saying, this is what I'm talking about, here's your top priority. Love the people in this room 
earnestly. This isn't just like love anybody, love everybody. No, love the people in this room, this way, earnestly. And that's hard to do, right? Because love is not just a one-time action, right? What does he say? Keep loving one another earnestly. So I can't just love you like once and then, that, then I'm fine. No, 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 no. Keep loving people. Yeah, but, but what about when they annoy me? Yeah, yeah, keep loving them, even then. But, but what about when I'm tired? Yeah, keep loving people. But what about when they do things that I don't like? Keep loving one another earnestly. So it's hard because it's a long-term commitment. It's also hard because it takes work, right? He says, keep loving one another earnestly. What he means by that is have an unwavering, stretched-out kind of love. It's going to require great effort for you to love people like this. He's talking about love as work, not love as a feeling. He's not saying, look out over everyone and feel love for them. No, he's saying this. Look out at everyone and think, how can I act lovingly to this person, to that person? Like, I see this person sitting alone, and I think, why are they sitting alone? How can I act lovingly to this person? Here's a person who usually has a smile on their face every time I see them, not today. How can I act lovingly to this person? Or there's a group of people that were just on stage. What life stage are these folks in? They have a newborn. How can I act lovingly to a family that has a newborn? That's what he wants. Above all, these are the kinds of things that should occupy our hearts and our minds. And why does he say that at the end of verse 8? He says it because love covers a multitude of sins. Peter is super realistic about how this is hard, right? He's not saying like, yeah, love people. It's going to be easy. It's all puppy dogs and rainbows and no problem. No, he's saying it's going to be hard. It's going to take work. And the reason you have to do it is because it's got to cover a multitude of sins. We're living in stressful times. Life is hard. There's a lot going on. And when life is like that, it's easy to offend and it's easy to be offended, and Peter's saying, so you have to focus on love because you're going to offend people and people are going to offend you. Sins are going, to be need, are going to need to be covered. Forgiveness is going to have to be offered. You need to make sure that you're loving people so that those things happen. You know, I'm reminded of a few weeks ago, Matthew 18, right? Greatness in the kingdom. What does greatness in God's kingdom look like? That you lovingly deal with people's sins. That you offer unlimited forgiveness the same way that the Father forgives you. That's what Peter's talking about. That was the conversation that Jesus and Peter were having in Matthew 18. How often should I forgive my brother? Well, how many times have you been forgiven? Let's go with that. I think what Peter's saying, too, is that if we want to derail ministry, then we don't love each other. Right? If you hold on to bitterness, jealousy, grudges, gossip, slander— you're not going to be effective in these last days. That's going to completely derail your ministry. So above all, keep loving one another because sins will be covered and you will be effective for Christ. He gives a practical way of doing that in verse 9. He says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
There's a lot I could say about that. I don't have time to do it, but I'll say at least this. Hospitality in the New Testament, what do do we think about when we think hospitality? Having my friends over to do something that we enjoy. Hospitality, the word literally means that you love strangers. So Peter says that you need to show hospitality. In other words, you need to take people that you don't know very well, your brothers and sisters that you don't know, and treat them like family. Have them in your home. Get to know them. That's what he's taught. That's hospitality as the New Testament defines it. That's a practical way that we can do that. We can show hospitality to one another, even if we don't know each other very well. And he says to do that, again, very realistic, without grumbling. Because hospitality costs something, right? It costs you food. It costs you time. It costs you energy. It costs your house being maybe in a state that you don't want it to be in. So he says do all that, even without grumbling. And then the primary way that I think he's getting at, how do we love each other this way? Verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Each one of us has received a gift. Each one. If you believe in Christ, you have a gift from God. No exceptions. You have a gift. You have a unique ability or a unique way of thinking about things that God has blessed you with so that you can be a blessing to others. Again, no exceptions. God saved you. God gave you a gift, and God put you at Valley Bible Church so that you could be a blessing to the rest of the body. No exception. Every single person in this room has a gift from God to benefit Valley Bible Church. I mean, how encouraging is that? Every single person, no accidents, whether you're 7 or 70, you have a unique blessing from God that you're to use to bless someone else. He says, use it to serve one another. The purpose of spiritual gifts, the reason God gifts you, is not ultimately for you. It's so that you can then turn around and give that gift to somebody else. God gives you grace that I need. God gives me grace that you need. He gives each of us grace that we can share with one another. I think about Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? Who's making all the bread and the fish? Jesus, right? He's the one who's making all this, but what does he do? He gives it to the disciples, and then the disciples get to go and have the joy of passing out all of the bread and fish to all these other thousands of people. That's really the picture here, right? I mean, God's got all the gifts. God's got all the grace, but he wants to give it to us so that we can then go and distribute it to everyone else that we come into contact with. That's the Christian life. That's the church, that we get to be stewards of grace to one another. We get to hand it out to one another. You think of it this way. When you come to church, you're coming as a dispenser of grace. God's given you grace that you could pass along to somebody else. Frank Griffith, one of, who was here many years ago, said this was one of his favorite verses, to think about the church this way, as a group of people who are dispensers of God's grace to each other. I mean, what an amazing picture. You know, I saw just in the front row here, you know, there was an offering envelope that went in the, uh, the little offering bag that went along, and it was a child who put it in there, Right? Now, did that child take all of his money and put it in the... Probably not, right? That was probably a parent. But the child loves to take part in that, right? I want to give me that envelope so I can be the one who puts it in the basket, right? That's what it's like. God's giving gifts. He wants to give gifts to us 
and then he lets us give those gifts to other people. And this is for all ages, right? You have grace that I need, right? My children are in this sweet spot right now, ages 4 to 11. So that's perfect, right? I mean, we're out of diapers, you know, they can dress themselves, they can brush their teeth, they can go to bed on their own, all these things, right? And the teenage years are still a couple years away. So this is the sweet spot, ages 4 to 11, right there. But some of you have been through life with teenagers. You're on the other side of that. You know what? You have grace that I need, that I'm going to need in a couple years as my children start growing up and there's different challenges. I'm not meant to do those things on my own. God gave you grace so that you could share that grace with me. And there's many other things, right? He's, he's taken all of us through various life situations, difficulties, trials, and he's done it all so that we would then have grace to pass along to somebody else. And it's never too early or too late to start. You know, if you're a teenager, you know the people that, would, that think you're the coolest people in the world? Kids. Right? Use that. Sir, as a teenager, serve in the children's ministry. It's like they'll think you're the coolest people. Right? So use your life that way. You can be a dispenser of grace to children. You can ask them how they're doing, get to know them, that you can share with them the things that God's teaching you. It's like they already look up to you. Take advantage of that and use it for the sake of the gospel. You know, there's a couple at our church that we came from that's, they're in their 70s and 80s. And God has just done a work in their life in like the last couple years to where they are completely on fire. Like they are, it's never too late to start. What they've done is they've decided, they have a two-story house, and they said, we don't need all this room. So what we're going to do is we're going to move down to the first story, and we're going to renovate the top story, and we're going to just make that available to anyone who needs it. Missionaries that are coming, you can stay there. People that, you know, are in between houses, go and stay there. They cook all their meals for their guests. They just make them a part of the family. It's like they have received grace from God, and they just want to pass that along to others. The husband in that relationship, he's like 80 years old. He's out on the, at the church parking lot on his hands and knees picking up trash. And it's like he's not doing that because he has to. He's doing it because there's nothing more that he would want to do. He's received grace. He wants to use it for the benefit of the body. We are stewards of grace. We've received things from God, and he wants us to use them in a faithful way. So what does he give? What is it that he gives? Look at verse 11. What does God give us that he wants us to pass along? It says, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. So what's happening? Sometimes God gives you words to say that you can say to somebody else. Right? And he's not talking about, you know, that you're prophesying over someone's life, you know, like you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to, no, no, no. He's saying he's going to teach you things about his word, and he's going to use the things you're learning about his word to be a blessing to someone else. And I don't think he's talking about just like this is the preacher or this is the teacher. I think these are just things that God's teaching you, that we all get to serve in this way, that God gives us the grace of his word so that we can then pass along the grace of his word to other people. So that's one thing. He gives his words. But then he also gives his power, right? Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that he supplies. He wants to give us his power so that we can be a blessing to other people, so that we can serve others. 
You know, when you sign up to serve, think of it this way. I'm signing up to receive fresh supplies of God's word and God's power. That's how we should think about service. Not a job like, oh, I have to do this because the church told me to do this. No, 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 no. I want to do this because I want God pouring out his blessings and his gifts on me so that I can keep passing them along to others, right? Don't be a dead end of God's grace. God's giving you grace so that you pass it along. And it's this wonderful picture, right? God's giving you a gift. You get to pass that gift along. He gets glory. I hope we don't get to heaven and we go and we see this storeroom. And we're amazed and we look at this storeroom of like all these gifts and these graces of God. And we think, this is amazing. Like, look at all these things. And then you ask God, what is this room? It's like, oh, that's all the gifts and grace that I wanted to give you, but you never passed it along to anybody else. That's how this works, right? If you're faithful to give the gift that God has given you to use it to serve one another, what's he going to do? He's going to keep doing that. More grace, more gifts for you because I know that you are going to pass them along to somebody else. That's, that could be your Christian life. Never-ending supplies of God's goodness and his grace so that you can serve others. You know, next week we're going to have an opportunity after service where there's going to be a big board out in the lobby of all the different ministries and ways that you could serve at Valley Bible Church. You know, I'd encourage you to pray. Pray this week. Lord, where would you have me serve? You know, what are the gifts that I have? What are the burdens that I have, the joys that I find in ministry? And can I match those up with some needs that are on that board? Pray and ask God to do that. And think about this way, this also. Like, sometimes the gifts that God gives, they're lifelong gifts. Like, he might make you a teacher or a servant in a Sunday school or something like that that you do for the rest of your life, and he gives you all the grace to enjoy it. Sometimes these gifts, I think, are just gifts that he gives on a Sunday, right? He's been working in your heart this week. He's encouraged you with a verse, and you get to use that verse that day to be an encouragement to somebody else. So think about gifts that way. Sometimes they're long-term, but other times, you know, it's just, what is the gift that God's given me this week that I could pass along to somebody else? And then why does God do it this way? I mean, God could just give us gifts directly for us, and we don't have to share them, but why does he do it? Verse 11, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Right? Who gets the glory when it works this way? God does. God gets the glory. Think of the cycle. God gives good gifts. You use those gifts to benefit others, and then those others glorify God for getting exactly what they need from you, from God. He gets the glory. And so that makes us ask an all-important question. As stewards of grace, are you living for the glory of God? Is that your chief objective? Is that the thing that you want? At the end of your life, you want God to say, I, that you lived for my glory. Our foremost top priority in life should be, do I, are people knowing how good God is through my life? I want my life to contribute to that then use your gifts this way, and God will receive glory. And it says he gets the glory through who? Through Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ is the reason you have the gifts in the first place. You wouldn't have any gift without Jesus Christ. And every gift that you do have is because of him. Right? Ephesians 4 pictures Christ going to the cross. He is a conquering king. 
and he's winning gifts for his people. He conquers through the cross, and then there's this big parade and party where he distributes all of the things that he won on the cross. And he's throwing out gifts to every single person that knows him. Guess what? He's going to give you way more gifts than you can hang on to yourself. So what should your life be about? I'm just going to keep giving away the gifts that he's giving me. That's the picture of the Christian life. It's this never-ending, really, like, celebration of what everything God has done in Christ to give you the, everything that you need, and you get to use everything that he gives you to be a blessing to somebody else. And at the end, what happens? He gets glory. You know, God is glorified. I get to glorify God in a different way when you minister to me, right? Let's say I'm going through something hard, and you come along and you encourage me. And I say thank you to you, of course. But then I also think, like, wow, God knew exactly what I needed. And I get to glorify God because of how he used you. You know, somebody's struggling with sin, and they're reminded that you're an adopted son of the king. He will always forgive you. He will always receive you. And you thank that person for that encouragement, and you give God the glory for giving you exactly what you need. I think about Christmas, right? If you're married uh, and you have kids, you know, a lot of times your kids will want to give a gift to your spouse, right? So like our kids, they want to give a gift to mom. Our kids are not rich, uh, so, you know, they don't have a lot of money with which they can buy a gift for mom. So what do they do? They tell me, like, hey, I want to get mom this thing. And a lot of times they have great ideas. And so I say, that's a great idea. Let's do this. So we'll go to the store. We'll buy a gift for mom. And they'll get to wrap it and all of those things. And they'll put the little tag on it. And it'll be sitting under the Christmas tree. And on Christmas morning, Rhonda will wake up. She'll see this is a gift to her from the kids. And she'll open it up. And she'll say, thank you so much to the kids. She'll gather them all around. And she'll hug them all. And then she'll smile at me right? Because where did the gift come from? Really, it came from me, but it came through the kids. That's what it's like when we serve one another with the gifts that God gives us. We say thank you. We hug each other. We love on each other for the ways that we care for each other, and then we smile at God because he's been so good to us, giving us exactly what we need through somebody else. Peter ends this by saying, to him, belong glory and dominion forever and ever. He's going to get the glory, whether you serve or not, but wouldn't you rather be involved in the process and be a part of what he's doing? As we close, we go back really to the beginning. The end of all things is at hand. How are you going to invest your life? What are you aiming for? I think so many of us are probably aiming for good things, but that maybe aren't the best thing. Like, I don't want to get to the end of my life and just be able to say I was a good husband. Don't get me wrong, I want to be able to say that, right? I don't want to get to the end of my life and only be able to say, well, I was a good dad. No, I want to get to the end of my life, just like all of you, and hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. What does God mean when he says that? You were a faithful servant. You were a faithful steward. I gave you gift after gift after gift, and you were faithful to not hoard them for yourself. You were faithful to pass them along. You stayed focused on my glory 
And all the other things, they happened. You were a good dad, you were a good husband, all of that, but you were all those things because you stayed laser-focused on being a faithful steward of the gifts that I gave you for the good of the body. May we be able to get to our li- the end of our life and be able to hear that from the Lord. And before I close, I just want to say thank you. Thank you as a church. You are faithful stewards of God's grace. We've been here only three months, and we feel like we've just received so many gifts from the Lord through all of you, through your care, through your concern, through your loving service, right, to our children across the way. There are so many people in this room and across the way that are faithful stewards of God's grace, and I want to just say thank you. I'm not asking you to do more unless God puts that on your heart to do. You are already doing what you're supposed to be doing. Keep doing it. But I think there are other people in this room that maybe you're not serving in a particular way at the church. And maybe you just come on a Sunday and you enjoy whatever it is that you enjoy and then you go home. I'd encourage you, find a place to serve. And if, I, if you're not serving, I'm not mad at you, right? I want you to experience all of these things. Again, think of ministry opportunities not as jobs that I have to do, but as invitations to the grace, power, and glory of God to be on display in your life. If you're not serving, go home this week, pray. Pray, ask God, how can I invest my life in this? How can I, above all, keep loving one another earnestly? How can I be a steward of your grace at Valley Bible Church? He'll answer that prayer. And it might be that you serve in a very formal way, a very regular way, like week in, week out in children's ministry. But it could just be that he moves you to just be wanting to share your gifts every single week in different ways. That you bring a meal to someone in need. That you pray for someone. That you write a note of encouragement. There's a million different ways to serve, but make sure that you are being a faithful steward of God's grace. Again, not because it's the task that you have to do, but because it's a joy It's a life of joy and purpose like you've never experienced if you serve in this way. You know, they say in many places that, you know, 20% of the people, you know, are doing 80% of the work. I don't think that's true here. I think way more than 20% of the people are doing more of the work. But you can think of it this way. 20% of the people enjoying 80% of God's good gifts as they're faithfully serving. Let's not have that. Let's have 100% and 100%, right? Let's have 100% of the people enjoying 100% of the good gifts that God wants to give because we're all desiring to use them to benefit one another. And he will be glorified. Let's pray. Father, sometimes we read your word and it it sounds too good to be true. Like we go through our lives, maybe we just get our eyes off of you, we're thinking about this, that, or the other thing that's going on, we lose sight of just the promises of your word. I mean, what a promise this passage is. That if we want to, above all, keep loving you earnestly, if we want to use our gifts, you'll just keep pouring them out. Lord, what a picture of the Christian life, that we are dispensers of grace to one another. Every Sunday, as we come together, each Sunday morning, we are dispensers of grace to one another. As we see each other and think about each other and pray about each other during the week, we are dispensers of your grace to each other. Lord, may we be faithful, faithful stewards of your varied grace. You have all kinds of grace and gifts that you want to show us, that you want to use to glorify yourself. May we be faithful to pass them along. 
even this week. Lord, I pray that if there are those that are not serving, that this week they would pray, they would ask you, they would realize that time is short, and they want to invest their life in the things that matter most. So guide them as they pray. Guide them to an area of service, maybe formal, maybe informal, but where they'll experience your grace and be able to pass that along to someone else. And may you receive all the glory. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.